Welcome back to the Ramble Room. We are here joined once again by Diane. I'm always grateful when she comes and sits in the Ramble Room. It feels like old times mostly. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. But of course you are. Don't be ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She is here in part because she has read, I think cover to cover, Charlie Cole's new book. I will be honest and say I've not read it cover to cover, but I read big chunks of it, and I feel prepared. (laughs) But at any rate, Charlie, um, congratulations on your new book. Thank you for writing this, and I would ask you to take a minute and introduce to our listeners. I I love the title. (laughs) I I think American in name only is timely and catchy. And quite appropriate. So anyway, take it from there. Tell us about your new book. Okay, will do. Thank you, Ken. Uh, yeah, it was a toss-up. Uh, this title one, the alternate, uh, was close. It was going to say the prosecution rests. But anyway, um, this book, I should say at the outset, uh, this book is descriptive. It's not prescriptive in nature. I, I didn't write this in order to suggest 14 different ways that we can turn all this around and and, uh, and get back to where we were. Rather, I decided, well, it's time to perhaps share my knowledge with with people as to where did this stuff, this, this theater of the absurd that we're seeing now, where, where are the roots? Where did it come from? So that's why I, and I specified it in the author preface. I said, I've got Basically, I had two goals in writing this book. The first was to share what I saw personally and have learned through life experience about this kind of system that we're headed for. And secondly, uh, and my study of history over the past four or five decades. And secondly, I wanted to document some of these things for the record because I don't want anybody later on to say, oh, we didn't know. Um, the classic example of that was in Germany when, well, Adolf Hitler became Chancellor of Germany in 1933, and by 1935 or sometime in 36, there was a copy of Mein Kampf in every German household. You couldn't find a household that didn't have Mein Kampf, and those people that had it had better at least have skimmed it. They needed to read it, and they knew that, and so... I find it amazing that in 1945, a bunch of them said, well, we, we had no idea. We didn't, we didn't know what he was going to try to do, really. I have met Germans when I was over there in the military in the late 60s who told me that, and I just thought, okay, well, that's beyond credulity. I mean, they, they, didn't want to, they didn't know because either they didn't want to know or they were afraid to find out and speak up, one of the two. Whatever the reason, I don't want uh, the situation to pass where people say, oh, my God, if this thing blooms into the direction it's going, this Obamaite fundamental transformation, uh, I'd hate to have people say, oh, we had no idea. Well, here's how you get an idea. First, you have to look back at where this came from. I call it a disease. Alexander Solzhenitsyn called it a disease. And... You hear a lot talked about socialism, communism, etc. It doesn't matter what you call this disease because from Jacobin France right through Marx, through Lenin and Stalin and Hitler and Mao 
and later on in Cuba and in North Vietnam and in Nicaragua and now in Venezuela, it's the sa- it's variants of the same disease. It started in the French Revolution and it has moved forward. So I point out <clears throat> fairly early in the book there were two uh, cataclysmic events that happened in the late 18th century, one in America and one in France, and they produced two diametrically opposed systems of societal and governmental, shall we say, systems. And that, and those systems have moved forward all throughout these 200 and some years. And it's amazing the number of societies that have followed one or the other. And unfortunately, all too many have followed the French model. And we see where that led, where it is, where it's, what it's produced. So I look at it and I say, you know, uh, if you're going to diagnose something, you have to take the, the MRI snapshot and, and read what it says. And I, I kind of invented a term. I don't know if you noticed it in this book. Uh, I invented the term societal fingerprints. And my theory is that, yes, people, each one of us has fingerprints. And, for example, in criminology, if uh, they find a, a weapon that's been used in a crime and your fingerprints have to match the ones on, on the weapon... Well, guess what? That's how they identify you. My theory is that societies over time leave societal fingerprints. And so we're looking for a match. How close can we get the match between those systems and what we see today? So basically, that's why I wrote the book. And uh, we can walk through the various chapters of it if you'd like, uh, because uh, I, I just felt a duty at my age, as the old Germans did that I quoted there in the preface, uh, one of them said, uh, they asked him, he's about, he's pretty close to 80 years old now, and he still addresses young young Germans and tells them about the Stasi and communism in East Germany, et cetera. And he, and he says, and they said, why do you still do this? He said, because I'm not going to let those men, the Stasi and the pro-communist people, write history. I'm just not going to do it. So that was my purpose. Well, thank you for doing that. There's a biblical principle about the watchman, the, the watchman and the watchtower. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I made some warnings to the to the uh, county commissioners just today, mm-hmm. and like we were expressing before the recorder was turned on, they had a maximum effective range of zero meters. <laughs> but I did my duty. Mm-hmm. I went out and said, and therefore, when the trouble hits, when the poo hits the fan, uh, you have done what you could do. We don't want to see it. You know, we we want to fix it, but. You were talking about societal fingerprints, and your your second chapter is about tracing those roots. And one of the things you bring up is a pet topic of mine, which is projection. Mm-hmm. Where, whenever you listen to a Democrat speak, and they're speaking criticizing a Republican or someone on the right. They Mm -hmm. generally try to tell you their motives. And generally, anytime they're they're telling you the motives of their political enemies, they're actually telling you their own. Mm -hmm. So I could you elaborate that on on that a little bit? Yeah, as Uh, I as I think I mentioned in this chapter, Rush Limbaugh mentioned it a long time ago. He said if you if you listen carefully to what they what they scream about and accuse our side, if you will, of the of the chasm of doing, generally speaking, and almost 
all the instances, it's exactly what they've either done or are doing or are planning on doing. Great example today is you hear all this nonsense about the latest line is, um, well, we don't dare allow Adolf, I mean, uh, uh, Donald Trump back in because he's going to be uh, he's going to be a dictator the same way that Adolf Hitler was an evil. He's going to he's going to prosecute his enemies and he's going to put them in jail. And I thought, let's pause right there. Uh, who, who is it that's prosecuting their political enemies and putting people in jail and holding them in, oh, I don't know, the January 6th gulag without any due process? Well, is that Donald Trump doing that? No, I don't think so. Well, I'll tell you who's doing that, obviously, is Biden and the Biden administration, or whoever is actually the puppeteer mm -hmm. there. I love the way you begin the book. Each chapter starts with a, a quote from somebody, and the introduction and the beginning starts with a quote from Victor Davis Hanson. It says, Behind all our disasters, there looms an ideology, a creed that ignores cause and effect in the real world without a shred of concern for the damage done. Mm -hmm. If that doesn't define the Biden administration, I don't know what does. And I'll give you an example because it's something that I've been dealing with for the last few days. Sheridan County Airport needs a little bit of concrete work done, so they apply to the feds for a grant. Mm -hmm. when, you imply, when you apply for federal monies, you get assurances that you must, you, you must assure the federal government that you will comply with and there are all kinds, as there have been for very many years, federal legislation on various, various things having to do National Historic Preservation Act and all that, just making sure that you, know, you obey the Clean Air Act. It, it goes on and on, and the list continues to grow. However, recently it has grown by at least a dozen more. And these are executive orders. They include, uh, let's see, Environmental Justice, Executive Order 12898. And you can Google these and, and look them up and see what's involved with them, and it's appalling. Um, here's an executive order on advancing racial equity and support for the underserved communities through the federal government. All we want to do is pour some concrete. Um, ensuring the future is made... All America by all of Americas. Well, how do you define American that, with the open borders? That's kind of a question. Well, the last one is one of the most egregious, especially in Wyoming, tackling the climate crisis at home and abroad. <laughs> and we can get into that when we talk about follow the silence <laughs> and some of these other things, or follow the science. But here are all these things added on there. And the reason I bring this up is what has happened is that at the state level, the legislature, at the federal level, the Congress has completely emasculated themselves. We're supposed to have three branches of government. Mm -hmm. And we have ceded, we as legislators or as Congress, have ceded all that power to the executive and to the judicial. Uh, in Wyoming, the attorney general works for the governor. Mm -hmm. So really, we have just the executive. Mm -hmm. And they turn around and want to say Donald Trump's going to be a dictator. <laughs> Any thoughts? Sure. Well, the, the, these are all, uh, by the way, the, uh, I, if you recall, there's a chapter that I put in this book, and it's called The Fourth Branch of Government. 
and goes exactly to that point you're making because if you Harriet Hageman gave gave some talks a few years ago about how the Congress, the legislative branch, has totally ceded their oversight, their constitutional oversight duties and responsibilities to these agencies. They they come in there through the appropriations process. They get the money appropriated, and then it's like they say, "Okay, see you later. Spend it wisely," and no effort whatsoever is made by the Congress to call those people back in and say, okay, now, you did this. Give us give us an analysis of how you spent this money, what did you achieve, uh, et cetera. Zero. It's, it's worse than that in Wyoming. Mm-hmm. In Wyoming, the representatives, the vast majority of them, at least 31 out of the, was it, 31 and 26, they don't represent the people. They represent the agencies. Right. Not only do they not ask the agencies, when, when we brought up to YDOT, we need to do some sort of an audit before you get any more money. Let's just look at what you're doing with what you got. Absolutely not. Vote it down um, eight to three in committee. Mm-hmm. They, the, the majority of the legislators in Wyoming, represent the agencies, will fight tooth and nail to ensure that they get every dime they're entitled to or ask for, and turn around and completely ignore a public which is screaming out, stop the property taxes, stop this, mm-hmm. stop that, stop that. They can't hear that. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, wouldn't you agree they don't have to hear it? So far. There's no enforcement mechanism to it because the legislature in Wyoming, they're the ones supposed to hold them accountable, hold the faith of the fire, but have they? No, for the no. very reasons that you that you just mentioned. So this is another <clears throat> monkey see, monkey do from the Fed right down through the state. And, and ultimately, the people haven't held the legislators accountable. That's right. that's what's beginning to change. And they haven't held them any more accountable in the legislature of Wyoming than they have in the Congress. Right. And it's like, oh, we have a representative form of government. Good. We'll vote for this guy or gal and send them off to Washington. Okay, have a nice trip. And then... We go to our baseball games, our soccer games, our picnics, and our barbecues. The main, another main thing that forced me to write this book was the, the, I wrote a chapter in here called Excusing Ignorance. I mean, there is absolute, the signals have been there forever as far as what's wrong here. Where is this going? In 2008, I remember distinctly, about a week up from the election, 2008, Barack Obama said into a live microphone, we are five days away from the fundamental transformation of the United States of America. No journalist had the curiosity, never mind the courage, to stand up and say, transformation into what? Now we have the answer. Why would you want to transform the most successful, greatest nation on earth? Yes, the only thing he was ever asked was, he did come out finally and said, well, I love the United States of America. And I think one, at that time, Fox News still had some independent people. And they said, well, if you love it, why do you want to fundamentally transform? And he said, well, uh, next question. Um, It's been for the longest time with this fourth branch of government, the attitude, and I think I put it in that chapter, it's a, (laughs) back in the civil rights days in the South, there was a sheriff down in, I believe it's Alabama, his name was Bull Connor. And as they would arrest these demonstrators, he would walk right out there and say, right into an open, he didn't care, they, they filmed him, he didn't care. He'd say, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is mind over matter. 
We don't mind, and you don't matter. And that's basically the attitude that the fourth branch takes with us. Because, and, the, and the evidence is you have, these, you have these gurus from the executive agency organizations. They go up there one after another. Um, the most irritating one is Mayorkas of DHS. He goes up there and they put him under oath and they ask him a direct question. Is the border secure? Yes. Okay. And even the latest hearing that I saw when he brought him back for the know, 15th time, they had, they had videos up on the wall showing these, these lines, thousands of people just walking right across the in the country. And uh, it's, it's secure? Yes. In other words, the hell with you. Yeah. We're going to do what we're going to do, and you can't do a damn thing about it. Um, when it reaches that point, now you've got, a, you've got a real problem on your hands because uh, too few people have cared about this for too long, and now the rot is so deep, the judicial rot that I described in the chapter about equal justice under law, really, uh, we just heard tonight on the radio, I was coming over here, that the Colorado Supreme Court has ruled, they've overturned the district court down there, and they have ruled that Donald Trump had no um, uh, freedom of speech rights, which allowed him to say what he said and incited the riot that they called the insurrection. Therefore, he, it is our order that he cannot appear on a Colorado ballot. But they didn't quote him, did they? They didn't have to. Yeah, you look at his quotes, and it was quite the antithesis of that. They didn't have to. But, but you're touching on, whenever they start to get to a little bit of a, a, a tough going, mm -hmm. and the next step in their plan is a little rough to accomplish, their primary modus operandi, so to speak, is a crisis. Mm -hmm. we, number one, we never let a crisis go to, weak or go, to, mm -hmm. go to waste, or we manufacture a crisis, which will thereby give us the leverage that we need to hurdle that and then recondition our subjects. Sure, and it's you been working for that. the longest time. I, I was looking mm, a few months ago, I've got a pretty good video archive, and I just happened to be looking at some of these former political conventions. 1948, Democrat nominee at the time, President Harry Truman, was talking about the education crisis, the housing crisis. That's 75 years ago. The war on poverty. Oh, sure. So they will, you're right, they will always invent these things. And then, of course, they leap to the foreground to solve the crisis, which they themselves, of course, have created. And it's a nice little, it's like the hamster in the cage. We try to chase it down and never seem to catch up. But the, I mean, we can cite examples. There are only so many examples I could put in this book. Otherwise, it would have been 500 pages. Um, but the immigration thing, here's a perfect example of that kind of situation. Uh, long ago in California, they had what they called the Bracero program, which was a way to get additional farm help for California farmers and ranchers. Uh, until uh, a couple of the Democrats got together, put pressure on the legislature, and they uh, finally agreed to allow families to come with the workers. <laughs> well, it didn't take much to realize that those guys, when it came time after planting harvest season to go back to Mexico, they said, well, see you, sayonara, dude, and they were out of there. Uh, so then... We go forward from that, and we get the wonderful Bill Clinton-sponsored motor voter law, the Fed. 
Oh, and the, and the excuse was, well, we're going to just, we need to make it easier for people to vote. So when you go get your driver's license in a lot of states, there are several states that do this still. There's a box on there. Do you wish to register to vote? You check yes. Now there's another box that says, are you a citizen? But if they check yes, nobody checks to whether or not they are. No requirement. So now we have people, questionable, getting licenses and also being automatically registered to vote. So now they have driver's licenses. And as of the last time I checked, 19 states and the, and the District of Columbia issue driver's licenses to illegal immigrants under threat of, you know, well, insurance problems and the cops say it's hard to do this, that. Uh, and then the ultimate, they, they went one step beyond that. There are states in this country um, whose state laws require that a ballot be mailed to all residents, not citizens, residents of that state. Well, and yet, what's one of their mantras now? Saving our democracy. They have done everything they could uh, to destroy the democratic process by which we select our leaders, and yet they stand there and they pound away on these mantras. And what keyed me back to Rush Limbaugh was he would play these things. He said, listen to this. And from the New York Times to CNN to this one to that one, the Washington Post, he'd play this montage, and it was these people using literally the same words. Today it would be saving our democracy, saving our democracy. And now it's Hitler's, uh, Hitler is basically, Trump is Hitler, so he's going to be a dictator. You hear it all the time. MSNBC right on down through, the, and they just scream it, and they have people that will agree to it. The presidential, the famous presidential historian, Michael Bischloss, said the other day on, um, on uh, one of the MSNBC shows, not that I listened to that, but it was a replay from somebody else, I think Wilkow. He said, listen to this. The MSNBC uh, reporter took this quote from Trump about, well, the blood's being ruined. Oh, then they found a quote from Mein Kampf at Adolf Hitler, and then Beschloss said, well, that's not surprising because, as you know, as we know, Donald Trump has a bunch of Hitler writings, maybe even Mein Kampf, on his nightstand, and he reads it every night. Well, you know, and again, they just go on and on. No evidence, no challenge, no problem. People swallow it, the people that want to, and others just say, ha ha, and ignore it. Can't ignore these things. And then we shouldn't have been ignoring them uh, all the way from the 1960s, one of the one of the really neat books that I put in the bibliography here is from uh, David Horowitz, Radical Son. I mean, he was born and raised in a communist family. Uh, and in the 1960s, he was one of the biggest radicals. There. He was right next to Jerry Rubin and all the, the bad guys. And he, ju he just points all that out in his book. This was knowable 60 years ago. You ask to people today, ever read Radical Son? They'll say, huh? So it's been, it's been lack of attention all this time. But the point that I want to also make is that these, there's nothing new in any of this. You go back and you look at how the Jacobins did it in France, right on through the Marx, right on through Soviets. It's a, it, the, the, mat, the societal matches are frightening if you look at it. Well, and that's what I appreciate so much about this book is I was reading through it. I was thinking, yep, I, I knew about that. I knew about that. I knew about that. But I teach at a homeschool. 
program here that you have been kind enough to come and speak to about your other book and whatever mm-hmm. else you talk to them about. Mm-hmm. And those kids don't know those things. Mm-hmm. They need to. And so here, here you have all this compiled in one place so that when they're ready to know that, it's all together because they can't possibly have been following it all these years. Right. And that's what I think the, a lot of the value is, is just that it's all in one place where you can hand it to somebody and say, did you know about this? Mm-hmm. And it's, Yeah, that, it's, was, that was part of my intent. because, And again, I can't fault these young people because we now, as I think I mentioned here, we have, we have two complete generations who have been quote-unquote educated in the government school, public school arena to believe in the, in the most ludicrous things uh, they actually believe, and I think a lot of them would go to the wall believing this, that uh, fossil fuels are, are evil. Uh, if you drive an SUV, you're, you're basically a, a holocauster. Um, they believe this stuff without a shred of hard scientific data to support it. Um, and again, look at, there are, there's a growing number of people, credentialed, degreed scientists, who are now finally stepping forward and saying, "Wait a minute!" But those people have been—they've been cowed professionally for a long, long time because they can't get tenure in universities. They have to publish or perish, and it has to go through approved measures. And of course, those people are all on one side of the debate. Well, if you lock out the other side of the debate, that's why I put the chapter about propaganda in there. The other feature that has been absolutely evident in every one of these all the way back to France 200 some years is the is the promulgation of a 24 7 365 hammering of propaganda <clears throat> and when as Joseph Goebbels whom I think I quoted in this book the Nazi guy he said listen if you make the big if you make the lie big enough that it seems like oh my gosh that can't be wrong and if you repeat it enough I go over and over and over and it stands unchallenged well, people are going to say, must be so. And, I mean, they, they actually believe, I think, that a person, a human being, can select which gender slash sex they desire to be. Well, wait a minute. I thought you people, that's why I wrote the, the chapter on science. But wait a minute. You people have been crowing for decades that you are the people of science. Okay. How about chromosomal biology that's been pretty well settled science for, I don't know, a thousand years? Uh, you're saying now that, well, not really. Oh, oh, we're enlightened now. We're woke. So when the science doesn't match your narrative, the heck with the science, go with the woke. Who are you going to believe? Me or your lying eyes, that kind of thing. Exactly. And it's just been nonstop. Now, this, this was at one time, I must admit, this was, a lot of this was, kind of hidden behind what I call the, the Wizard of Oz curtain. Not anymore. They are right straight out in the open now. They are pedal to the metal. They sm- they see the goal line. It's third and goal on a one-yard line, and they intend to get that ball over the goal line, and they're not going to stop. They're not even going to slow down. Yep. I grew up in the 70s, mm-hmm. grade school, junior high, high school. And I remember, for some reason, <clears throat> Must have been about the time that my mother graduated. Uh, they got a subscription to Time magazine, mm-hmm. and my grandfather kept it up for 
30 years. And so I have up here a little picture of some Time magazine covers from starting in 1973. And I actually remember several of these covers. And we were told the whole time that I was in grade school and on into junior high that we were about to freeze to death because of pollution. It was blocking the rays of the sun. We didn't stop pollution of all sorts, especially... And the ozone layer and all that. Yeah, and sure. then it moved to the ozone layer. Mm -hmm. And then, then it moves to uh, one of the pictures somewhere around some probably 2002 or so on time had a picture of a frying pan with an egg on it. <laughs> it said how we're, you know, we're all going to burn up and Al Gore mm -hmm. comes out. And now 23 years later, it's actually receding the other way. So now it's climate change. Um, as you alluded to, the ideal of male and female is, is now all of a sudden after thousands of years. It, imagine if all the ranchers and livestock people got confused <laughs> how, how well we do. But... But that, by the way, that goes back, as I mentioned in here. I think I put a quote from the Washington Post in 1922, 100 years ago. They quoted someplace off Greenland or Iceland or somewhere where uh, some fellow had said, oh, yeah, the sea, the sea levels are rising at such a rate that uh, within another five years, uh, there won't be any coastal cities left. 100 years ago. Al Gore, of course, repeated it in 2009 or whenever it was. And the, there it is, and it's and it's never been challenged. Well, it's starting to be challenged, but a uh, little late because now you have all these people who actually believe this. Oh yeah, that's they're, the they're already part. steeped in that. And as you pointed out earlier, nobody's really paying close attention because they're all doing whatever it is that they do. They're Facebooking or they're whatever, and they get away with yeah, with virtually anything. Yeah, the. The power of propaganda, it, 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 it's very, very powerful. And um, once, I think it was, I think his name was Yuri Bizmenov. He was a Soviet defector back in, oh, in the 80s. This has been about 40 years ago. He appeared on David Frost or one of those TV shows. And I remember he said, he said to them, you know, he said, when indoctrination reaches a certain stage, he said, I can take some of these people today. There was still a Soviet Union. He says, I can take them to a Soviet labor camp today, and I can show them that, and they won't believe it. Yeah. That's, the, that's the deeply ingrained. And then the chapter that I put in there, I think I put some examples in the fear chapter. Because the, the glue that holds it all together, of course, this massive state, when you have... When you have the culture having been rotted from the inside out in Hollywood, when you have education having been turned into indoctrination mills, when you have the media that, that isn't even interested in facts and evidence anymore, when you have much of the federal government and virtually all of the fourth branch, the deep state, and then when you have the courts on top of it, how, how much more is there for them to eat up? And they just mutually reinforce each other. So that's why I went with this title, because I look at things. Well, I can, I can look at the skyline of Washington, D.C. There's the Capitol. There's the Lincoln Memorial. There's the White House. There's the Washington Memorial. It looks like the country I was born and raised in. But scratch the surface. It ain't there. It's been polluted. Speak to equal justice under the law. We, we have seen Donald Trump 
investigated every day of his life <laughs> mercilessly from the day he came down the escalator and has he must be the cleanest person on earth because <laughs> they've never got anything to stick <laughs> well we, not yet yeah as opposed to <coughs> the biden family and you know that goes on and on speak to that a little bit just this this equal justice under the law well, one of the things that you see, and it's very interesting when you when you analyze how the media treats it, it goes back again to the Jacobin days in France. They came up with a, a saying, no enemies to the left. Meaning, if you're looking for somebody to harass or persecute, uh, slander, always look to the right, never to the left. The left is supposed to be the protected ones, the ones over here. By the way, I have to mention this. I wrote it in the book, and I'll say it real quickly. This whole dichotomy about uh, you hear them saying it again and again and again in the media as well. Well, you know, these far-right extremists out there are just like their, their predecessors and National Socialists and Nazis. That is one of the biggest lies that was concocted about a hundred and some years ago. The whole idea of left and right goes back to the seating arrangement in the French Assembly right after the, the, the uh, French Revolution, from the speaker's podium, he looked way to his left and he saw the Jacobins and the rest of them. He looked way to the right and he saw the conservative, monarchist, legal people who wanted to reform, but they wanted it legally and peacefully. That's where that came from. So how they perverted it was Joseph Stalin, of course, was way to the left. Everybody realized that. Well, Hitler was way the other way, so he must have been on the right. I guarantee you that there was absolutely zero in, comp in common between Adolf Hitler and his gang and those French conservatives on the right side of that national legislature. They perverted that. In fact, Hitler and Stalin were two sides of the same coin. But notice how the mythology continues to this day. Somebody calls me right, and I say, thank you, if you know what you're saying. Because what I agree with the conservative monarchists that said that day, let's sit down. Can we sit down and reason together? No, they took that away. But back to the, the actual, if you notice what the, what the coverage always is, it doesn't matter what anybody on the left side of the, it doesn't matter. Back to Sandy Berger, and I put that in the book way back 20 years ago when he went in there and and tried to get some documents that might have been embarrassing out of the National Archive to Bill Clinton, and he stuffed them in his underwear and put them in his socks and all this, and he was dealt with severely. He got a $50,000 fine and his security clearance was lifted. So now Donald Trump, who had the classification and declassification authority to do whatever he wanted with those documents, they found a couple boxes of those things, uh, which he probably had already declassified, and they issued, they indicted him for national security violations, where Joe Biden, who had no such authority as senator or vice president, they found him in his garage, in his Corvette, in, his, in the UPenn Center and all that. Nothing. Nothing. Crickets. It's the standard pattern. It's been going on for quite some time. And of course, the problem is that, and I hate to say this, uh, I, I hope this book will not be taken as some kind of Republican screed, because I have just as big a problem with, 
with the Republican establishment people as I do with these dudes. In fact, even more because they haven't stood up for anything. They haven't stood up against anything. You have people like Lindsey Graham saying they'll, they'll, they'll nominate these ludicrous people to sit on the Supreme Court. A woman who can't answer the question, can you define a woman? No problem. Lindsey Graham votes for him because he said, well, we have to defer to the president, you know. Really? Where is our representation? Who speaks for us in the United States Senate? I was very heartened also to hear the results of a poll today that Mitch McConnell's uh, approval rate is now 6%. And that's probably only the ones like, uh, well, his buddies in the Senate that, that answered the poll. But uh, Thanks, John Barrasso. Uh, yeah, well, you said it. I was thinking it. You said it. But, uh, but that's, that, that's all a part of that. And it all feeds into the same narrative. If, if I mean, the, the Colorado Supreme Court isn't actually... Pennsylvania Supreme Court, I think I mentioned in this book what they did. I mean, the, the Pennsylvania state legislature was allowed, they were talked into some legislative changes on the voting side, which violated the constitution of the state of Pennsylvania. When it was taken to one of the appellate judges, she said, that, that seems to have merit. I think we need an evidentiary hearing. They ran to the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania, which, by the way, is an elected Supreme Court, stacked with Democrats. I think five Democrats, two Republicans. They said, nope, boom, sent it back, no hearing. They couldn't even, and the Supreme Court of the United States, as Ted Cruz has lamented, refused to look at that case. Well, when you, when you reach that point of, I mean, you, you have corruption as part of it, and then you have a lack of courage on the other part. So that's a, that's a lethal combination right there. That's America in name only. It really is, and we see that. You know, we, we talk primarily this evening about things on a national scale. Mm -hmm. But for those of us involved in the state of Wyoming, it is every bit as bad at the state level. Mm -hmm. There is absolutely... <clears throat> No curiosity among the press to uncover or to delve into these things. Um, there's, there's a representative, Western, who has, I've read through the police files, and a lot of people have, and it's a pretty convincing case. So that's been given to, that's, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm choking. <laughs> that's been given to the attorney general who has basically just been sitting on that and doing nothing with it if Mark Jennings had done anything of the sort do you think that the response would be different oh he'd be in an orange jumpsuit yeah, right now yeah, sure they, my point is that we think okay those this is Big scale problems, whatever. But right here in Wyoming, we're all we're all Republicans. We've all got things pretty much the same. You have, you are so wrong <laughs> if you think that. They, this is one of those states that they desperately want to flip because we're the last bastion of conservatism, mm -hmm. and we are in the fight for our lives, not only for the soul of Wyoming, but I think for the soul of the nation. Okay, that sounds. Mm -hmm. A, a little bit out there. You're just getting up on your soapbox. Well, but, it's, but it's a, I guess a books. secondary reason uh, that I would have for doing this, and the other thing that is because 
it may be America in name only, but one of the things I notice, and <clears throat> again, I'm I'm just a green card Wyoming guy. I've only lived here 13 years, so I mean, I I probably I'm barely able to vote here in this state. Uh, but I will say that one of the things I have a lot of friends here who are second, third generation Wyoming types, and there seems to be among a lot of them. An attitude, well, oh, well, everything's fine. It's just the way it's always been, and it's always going to be like that in Wyoming. Yeah. And I tell them, well, yeah, but have you looked at, well, no, because, you know, well, it'll work itself out. We'll all get together. get along. Can't we all get along? Well, can't we all get along was great in Wyoming for a long time. But hey, listen, when you have people who seem to be dedicated to fundamentally transforming that into something else, you need to stand up, pay some attention here, because this is this is not your granddaddy's Wyoming anymore. You, I don't think. You take a simple principle like ESAs, education savings allowances or accounts. We ran tried to run two bills last last session. They were completely shuffled under and buffaloed, and then I think. Uh, People like Albert Summers, the Speaker of the House, went home and found out that that wasn't particularly popular. We're coming into an election here. <laughs> and so they decided that they're going to run their ESA bill. Their ESA bill includes a number of unconscionable things when you actually look at it, which expand the welfare state and all these others. But even though there's, there's not that much federal money in education in Wyoming, I read to you from some of the executive orders before. Mm -hmm. If private schools, if parochial schools begin to accept this money, it comes with strings. And those strings include you cannot judge somebody when they come in and ask for a job. You can't tell them no because they confused about what clothes you're supposed to wear and what gender they are etc etc ad infinitum mm -hmm. what bothers me is that the establishment leaders and i say that in air quotes in wyoming have seen this coming they have signed numerous grants they've been dealing with this and you have never heard any of them raise a finger in protest mm -hmm. and commissioner jennings was the first that i've heard that did that and I'm doing everything that I can to raise the attention, to raise the ire, to, as we started out this, this discussion, to stand in the watchtower mm -hmm. and say, look, we've got to stop this. Mm -hmm. And we have to stop it now. And it's going to hurt. We're so addicted to federal funding. Mm -hmm. It's going to hurt. But That's why uh, you it. see some efforts in some states... Um, Texas just passed some pretty tough laws which allow their legal their their law enforcement people to arrest people who come across that border illegally. Um, Tennessee, what a wonderful! I mean, you talk about a state for emulation. Uh, they have started to turn down federal money in a lot of different areas. I think yep. education is one. They're yep. saying. No, 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 no. You don't come into here and, and mandate that CRT in a 1619 project. I crap to our people. No. DeSantis did pretty much the same thing in Florida. Tennessee, I understand, also just filed, speaking of climate change, 
they just filed a lawsuit against BlackRock, you know, the huge woke investment broker outfit, because the apparently the lawsuit, I haven't read it yet, but the lawsuit claims, I think, that, wait a minute, they're suing them for fraud. And the logic is, wait a minute, you say in your prospectus and your information to potential investors that your main goal is to make money for people who invest, you know, through you. And yet, all you're really doing is promoting the, the climate change, the radical stuff, the DEI, etc. That's fraud. We'll see how it happens. But at least they're standing up in these states, making an effort saying, uh-uh, we're going to challenge this. And so far, I may be wrong, but so far, the, such challenges there has been have been met with rhinoized uh, uh, opposition, uh, been stonewalled, and all of a sudden... Bills disappear to speaker's desk, et cetera. That's, that, that's, that's, <laughs> well, I don't even have a word for that. But yeah. it's, it's, it's dangerous. And, and, and unless people start really paying attention to it, it's going to get worse. I ran a bill which Wild File said was the stupidest bill <laughs> run all last session. And that was to basically assign a committee to look at federal overreach and to work on how do we fight back, how do we push back. And everybody that I talked to, including the Democrats, I said, oh yeah, there's, there's a need for that, but we're not about to do it. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a bill out there now that calls for one individual to be hired to look in the, primarily with federal lands, to look into federal overreach. The problem, is, which is a great idea, uh, at least, you know, somebody's assigned to look at this and raise a red flag and, and try to do something. Who gets to assign that person? It, it goes to the governor. <laughs> okay? Okay. Um, not initially, but once he's there, now he, now he works for the governor. And we talked earlier about the executive branch being given all the power. This is the legislation's job. This, mm -hmm. is, this is our job. And we just want to... Okay, we're, it's too much work, because basically what they told me, this is too big a piece of pie. Mm. So I thought, okay, we'll narrow it down, and we'll talk maybe just about one or two subjects, the Second Amendment and a couple others. <clears throat> it would be interesting to see, and you and, and Mark and some others might, might work on how to share this with people, sharing with them how big is the Wyoming fourth branch the 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 deep state of these agencies how many are there how many people work with that and all that what's their budget and all that i just did that today mm -hmm. we had a meeting with some individuals who are concerned about the second amendment bills as and, and the the rights in the state and so we were discussing a number of different things and i said one of the problems we have with writing bills is the lso they have, that's the deep state in Wyoming, and those people mm -hmm. have been there for a long time. They're very smart. Mm -hmm. So you may have a good idea, but they will write into that bill, and if you're not meticulously careful, they will write into that triggers, which will be attacked then by the 31 and dismissed. Poison pills. Huh? Yeah, poison pills mm -hmm. of a sort, and, and they will do that. If, on the other hand, you go, like, to Tennessee and say, what did they do in Tennessee, and bring it here, now you're mocked for, we want Wyoming solutions for Wyoming problems. And, you know, we don't want you to go out, 
outside of there. And then the, the funny flip side of that is if you listen to any committee meeting within minutes, whenever an issue is brought up, the first thing that, that the 31 bring up is, well, what do they do in other states? <laughs> it, is, it is so duplicitous and so glaring that anybody that's paying attention is completely appalled. But that's the issue, and we've touched on it several times tonight. I've said several times that the greatest threat to Wyoming is voter mm -hmm. apathy yeah. or inattention. Well, the example you just brought up is one that I quote in the book here. Is It's astounding how the American left, they, they just fawn over everything European. Oh, whatever the Europeans are doing is great until you reach elections. <laughs> in France, they tried, oh, this has been decades ago. They, they had a period there where they did some expanded uh, mail-in voting, and they moved away from it very, very quickly. They said, "No, no, no, no. This, this is, this is rife for this, this. You can't risk this." So they don't want to follow that example, though. No, no. Say this is, and they don't want to follow even the example of the 2005 bipartisan Federal Election Reform Committee. I listed them in here. I read the read what they said should be done, and it's exactly the points that the Democrats have, have glommed onto. The, the commission said, this is dangerous. The Democrats are doing it. The, the commission said, you must, you, whatever you do, you must maintain the integrity of voter ID and the signature requirements. What's one of the first things they attacked? Oh, that's racist, or that's, that's, that's minimalist, or whatever. And they said, you have to make sure, in France, for example, those ballots never leave their, their paper ballots and they never leave the polling place, period. There isn't any chain of custody. They're right there. What if, what if uh, you know, all of our ballots used to go be handled by the mail here in Wyoming for the, for the mail-in ballots? And now all of a sudden we're going to close the Cheyenne post office for that and we're going to handle everything out of Denver. <laughs> you suppose anything could possibly go wrong? I, you watch this stuff, and you, you couldn't make it up any worse. No, that's true. So I thank you for writing this book, for writing the one prior. Um, I hope that you will find another another avenue to approach. Um, we're definitely looking forward to whatever comes out in the next couple of years. I have some uh, I have some Zoom contacts that I work with on the other book, so I'm, yeah. after the holidays I'm going to give it with. But uh, in the meantime, people that are interested in it can go on a website. There's a website that it's the title of the book, AmericaInNameOnly.com. They can go on that website, and there's a brief uh, explanation of the book, and then you can click down at the bottom. It says Read Now. Boom, take you to Amazon. I publish it with Amazon again, and some people say, Why are you giving Jeff Bezos the business? And my answer is the same as Wayne Allen Root said. If you want someone to leave you alone, to write whatever you want, for some reason, Amazon does it. I published it. Once I had the files together, I published it one day. Boom. You hit create, and you're there. So this book was intended for all Americans. This one, I felt, again, I felt a duty to stand up and be the, be the watchman. You know, go ahead, shoot holes in it. But... It's like this one preacher back, back he used to say, well, hey, you can call me names, but you can't prove me wrong. I think all the things in here are documented. And the main thing is, I just want people to start, just pause. Take a look at this and think about it. 
take a look around and see if this is does this really match what we all thought America has been for the last 220 years, or is there something wrong? And if there's something wrong, this helps you see how it got wrong, where it's coming from, and how it just it this. As I say in here, and again, I took I took no pleasure in writing this book. I did not. This was a hard book to write. There were tears in my eyes when I wrote some of this stuff. But also, I said in here, I have seen the end of this movie with my own eyes, and I've corroborated it with dozens and dozens of other people that had time behind the wire, so to speak. And you don't want to live in the way that they're leading you. You, 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 no sane person would want to be there. Well, I know that you worked on that for months. That it was a lot of work, and that you could be just retired and say, "I'll be gone before it gets too bad. I'm not going to worry about it." Mm-hmm. And you haven't done that, and I really appreciate that. I started to take that attitude, and all of a sudden, I think the Lord grabbed me one night and said, "Hey, what are you doing?" So I did feel, because as I put towards the towards the conclusion of the book, when you think of all the sacrifices that were made for two centuries now, this, the blood, the sweat, the tears, the sacrifice, all the things they did to constitute, defend, and maintain this, this constitutional republic, we're doing precious little to, to, uh, in support of that now, all of us. I gave the keynote address at Reads Across America here in Sheridan a couple of days ago. And one of the comments that I made, after we'd gone out there and, and placed the wreaths and done honor to deceased veterans, and this isn't necessarily people that, that lost their lives in combat. It's anybody who's a veteran that's buried up there mm-hmm. is eligible to receive a wreath. And I said, really appreciate what you're doing up here. Mm-hmm. But you do these people who offered everything. You know, the, some gave all, all gave some. And they were willing to, to do whatever it took. Mm-hmm. You do them a tremendous disservice if you don't even know who your representative is. That, to me, the, when I had that thought, just really struck me that here are a lot of us that are going out there giving everything we got mm-hmm. and some people are so oblivious don't even have a clue what's going on and that has to change mm-hmm. that's what the press is supposed to be doing but of course they're not and so I, I hold them at least in part culpable Sure. but if I, I want to kind of close with this thought uh, back after the Constitutional Convention and Benjamin Franklin walks outside and somebody says, hey, what do we got? A republic if you can keep it. Mm-hmm. The only way that you can keep it is a moral society, an educated society, and an alert society. And right now, all of those are severely challenged. With involved citizens. Yes, this is a. This is always intended to have been a citizen-run operation, and to hand it off to professionals, shall we say, uh, it, it's it's really sad to see what they've done with it. It is well. Thank you for being here. I appreciate it every time you're in here, and uh, look forward to watching the numbers roll in. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you much.
Thank you.